Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. of Little Women by American author Louisa May Alcott titled Little Faithful and Dark Days. You can listen to the whole series in order at snoozecast.com series. In the last episode, the March sister's mother leaves to visit their ailing father in Washington, D.C. They do their best to stay cheerful and brave and write letters to their mother in the meantime. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Seventeen. Little Faithful For a week, the amount of virtue in the old house would have supplied the neighborhood. It was really amazing, for everyone seemed in a heavenly frame of mind, and self-denial was all the fashion. Relieved of their first anxiety about their father, The girls insensibly relaxed their praiseworthy efforts a little and began to fall back into old ways. They did not forget their motto, but hoping and keeping busy seemed to grow easier 
and after such tremendous exertions, they felt that Endeavor deserved a holiday and gave it a good many. Joe caught a bad cold through neglect to cover the shorn head enough and was ordered to stay at home till she was better, for Aunt March didn't like to hear people read with colds in their heads. Joe liked this, and after an energetic rummage from attic to cellar, subsided on the sofa to nurse her cold with arsenicum and books. Amy found that housework and art did not go well together and returned to her mud pies. Meg went daily to her pupils and sewed, or thought she did, at home, but much time was spent in writing long letters to her mother or reading the Washington dispatches over and over. Beth kept on with only slight relapses into idleness or grieving. All the little duties were faithfully done each day, and many of her sisters also, for they were forgetful, and the house seemed like a clock whose pendulum was gone a-visiting. Everyone felt how sweet and helpful Beth was, and fell into a way of going to her for comfort or advice in their small affairs. Meg, I wish you'd go and see the Hummels. You know Mother told us not to forget them, said Beth, ten days after Mrs. March's departure. I'm too tired to go this afternoon, replied Meg, rocking comfortably as she sewed. Can't you, Joe? asked Beth. Too stormy for me with my cold. I thought it was almost well. It's well enough for me to go out with Lori, but not well enough to go to the Hummels, said Joe, laughing, but looking a little ashamed of her inconsistency. Why don't you go yourself? asked Meg. I have been every day, but the baby is sick, and I don't know what to do for it. Mrs. Hummel goes away to work, and Lotkin takes care of it. I think you or Hannah ought to go. Beth spoke earnestly, and Meg promised she would go tomorrow. Ask Hannah for some nice little mess and take it round, Beth. The air will do you good, said Joe, adding apologetically. I'd go, but I want to finish my writing. My head aches and I'm tired, so I thought maybe some of you would go, said Beth. Amy will be in presently, and she'll run down for us, suggested Meg. So Beth lay down on the sofa. The others returned to their work, and the hummels were forgotten. An hour passed. Amy did not come. Meg went to her room to try on a new dress. Joe was absorbed in her story, and Hannah was sound asleep before the kitchen fire, 
when Beth quietly put on her hood, filled her basket with odds and ends for the poor children, and went out into the chilly air with a heavy head and a grieved look in her patient eyes. It was late when she came back, and no one saw her creep upstairs and shut herself into her mother's room. Half an hour later, Joe went to Mother's Closet for something, and there found little Beth sitting on the medicine chest, looking very grave, with red eyes and a camphor bottle in her hand. Christopher Columbus, what's the matter? cried Joe, as Beth put out her hand as if to warn her off and asked quickly, You've had the scarlet fever, haven't you? Years ago, when Meg did, why? Then I'll tell you. Oh, Joe, the baby has it. What baby? Mrs. Hummel's cried Beth with a sob. Oh, I I ought to have gone, said Joe, taking her sister in her arms as she sat down in her mother's big chair with a remorseful face. Beth said, The doctor came and said crossly that it was scarlet fever, ma'am, ought to have called me before. Mrs. Hummel told him she was poor and had tried to cure the baby herself, but now it was too late, and she could only ask him to help the others and trust to charity for his pay. He smiled then and was kinder and told me to go home and take Belladonna right away or I'd have the fever. No, you won't, cried Joe hugging her close. Oh, Beth, if you should be sick, I never could forgive myself. What shall we do? I guess I shan't have it badly. I looked in Mother's book and saw that it begins with a headache and sore throat and strange feelings like mine. So I did take some belladonna and I feel better, said Beth, laying her cold hands on her hot forehead and trying to look well. If mother was only at home, exclaimed Joe, seizing the book and feeling that Washington was an immense way off. She read a page, looked at Beth, felt her head, peeped into her throat, and then said gravely, I'll call Hannah. She knows all about sickness. Don't let Amy come. She never had it, and I should hate to give it to her. Can't you and Meg have it over again? Asked Beth. I don't think so, but don't care if I do. Serves me right, selfish pig, to let you go and stay writing rubbish myself, muttered Joe as she went to consult Hannah. The good soul was wide awake in a minute and took the lead at once, assuring that there was no need to worry. Everyone had scarlet fever, which Joe believed, 
and felt much relieved as they went up to call Meg. Now I'll tell you what we'll do, said Hannah, when she had examined and questioned Beth. We'll have Dr. Bangs just to take a look at you, dear, and see that we start right. Then we'll send Amy off to Aunt March's for a spell to keep her out of harm's way, and one of you girls can stay at home and amuse Beth for a day or two. I shall stay, of course. I'm oldest, began Meg, looking self-reproachful. I shall, because it's my fault she's sick. I told Mother I'd do the errands, and I haven't, said Joe, decidedly. Which will you have, Beth? There ain't no need of but one, added Hannah. Joe, please. And Beth leaned her head against her sister with a contented look, which effectually settled that point. I'll go and tell Amy, said Meg, feeling a little hurt, yet rather relieved on the whole, for she did not like nursing, and Joe did. Amy rebelled outright and passionately declared that she had rather have the fever than go to Aunt March. Meg reasoned, pleaded, and commanded, all in vain. Amy protested that she would not go, and Meg left her in despair to ask Hannah what should be done. Before she came back, Lori walked into the parlor to find Amy sobbing with her head in the sofa cushions. She told her story, expecting to be consoled, but Lori only put his hands in his pockets and walked about the room, whistling softly as he knit his brows in deep thought. Presently, he sat down beside her and said, in his most wheedlesome tone, Now, be a sensible little woman and do as they say. No, don't cry, but hear what a jolly plan I've got. You go to Aunt March's, and I'll come and take you out every day, driving or walking, and we'll have capital times. Won't that be better than moping here? I don't wish to be sent off as if I was in the way, began Amy in an injured voice. Bless your heart, child. It's to keep you well. You don't want to be sick, do you? No, I'm sure I don't, but I dare say I shall be, for I've been with Beth all the time. That's the very reason you ought to go away at once, so that you may escape it. Change of air and care will do you well, I dare say, or if it does not entirely, you'll have the fever more lightly. I advise you to be off as soon as you can, for a scarlet fever is no joke, miss. But it's dull at Aunt March's, and she's so cross, said Amy. It won't be dull with me popping in every day to tell you how Beth is, 
and take you out gallivanting. The old lady likes me, and I'll be as sweet as possible to her so she won't peck at us, whatever we do. Will you take me out in the trotting wagon with Puck? On my honor as a gentleman. And come every single day? See if I don't. And bring me back the minute Beth is well. The identical minute. And go to the theater, truly? A dozen theaters, if we may. Well, I guess I will, said Amy slowly. Good girl. Call Meg and tell her you'll give in, said Laurie, with an approving pat which annoyed Amy more than the giving-in part. Meg and Joe came running down to behold the miracle which had been wrought, and Amy, feeling very precious and self-sacrificing, promised to go if the doctor said Beth was going to be ill. How is the little dear? asked Laurie for Beth was his especial pet. She is lying down on mother's bed and feels better. I dare say she's only got a cold. Hannah says she thinks so, but she looks worried, and that makes me fidgety, answered Meg. What a trying world it is, said Joe, rumbling up her hair in a fretful way. No sooner do we get out of one trouble than down comes another. There doesn't seem to be anything to hold on to when mother's gone, so I'm all at sea. Well, don't make a porcupine of yourself. It isn't becoming. Settle your wig, Joe, and tell me if I shall telegraph to your mother or do anything, asked Laurie who never had been reconciled to the loss of his friend's one beauty. That is what troubles me, said Meg. I think we ought to tell her if Beth is ill, but Hannah says we mustn't, for mother can't leave father. Beth won't be sick long, and Hannah knows just what to do, and mother said we were to mind her, so I suppose we must, but it doesn't seem quite right to me. Hmm, well, I can't say. Suppose you ask Grandfather after the doctor has been. We will. Joe, go and get Dr. Bangs at once, commanded Meg. We can't decide anything till he has been. Stay where you are, Joe. I'm errand boy to this establishment, said Laurie, taking up his cap. I'm afraid you're busy, began Meg. No, I've done my lessons for the day. Do you study in vacation time? asked Joe. I follow the good example my neighbor set me, was Laurie's answer, as he swung himself out of the room. I have great hopes for my boy, observed Joe, watching him fly over the fence with an approving smile. 
He does very well for a boy, was Meg's somewhat ungracious answer, for the subject did not interest her. Dr. Bangs came, and Beth had symptoms of the fever, but he thought she would have it lightly. Amy was ordered off at once and provided with something to ward off danger. She departed in great state with Joe and Lori as escort. Aunt March received them with her usual hospitality. What do you want now? she asked, looking sharply over her spectacles, while the parrot, sitting on the back of her chair, called out, Go away! No boys allowed here! Lori retired to the window, and Joe told her story. No more than I expected, if you're allowed to go poking about among poor folks. Amy can stay and make herself useful if she isn't sick, which I've no doubt she will be. Looks like it now. Don't cry, child. It worries me to hear people sniff. Amy was on the point of crying, but Lori slyly pulled the parrot's tail which caused Polly to utter an astonished croak and call out, Bless my boots, in such a funny way that she laughed instead. What do you hear from your mother? asked the old lady gruffly. Father is much better, replied Joe, trying to keep sober. Oh, is he? Well, that won't last long, I fancy. March never had any stamina, was the cheerful reply. Ha-ha, never say die. Take a pinch of snuff. Goodbye, goodbye, squalled Polly, dancing on her perch and clawing at the old lady's cap as Lori tweaked him in the rear. Hold your tongue, you disrespectful old bird. And, Joe, you'd better go at once. It wasn't proper to be gadding about so late with a rattle-pated boy like... Hold your tongue, you disrespectful old bird, cried Polly again, tumbling off the chair with a bounce and running to peck the rattle-pated boy who was shaking with laughter at the last speech. I don't think I can bear it, but I'll try, thought Amy, as she was left alone with Aunt March. Get along, you fright, screamed Polly, and at that rude speech, Amy could not restrain a sniff. Chapter 18 Beth did have the fever and was sicker than anyone but Hannah and the doctor suspected. The girls knew nothing about illness, and Mr. Lawrence was not allowed to see her. So Hannah had everything her own way, and busy Dr. Bangs did his best 
but left a good deal to the excellent nurse. Meg stayed at home, lest she should infect the kings, and kept house, feeling a little guilty when she wrote letters in which no mention was made of Beth's illness. She could not think it right to deceive her mother, but she had been bidden to mind Hannah. Joe devoted herself to Beth day and night, not a hard task, for Beth was very patient. But there came a time when during the fever fits, she began to play on the coverlet as if it was her beloved little piano and tried to sing with a throat so swollen there was no music left. Everyone missed seeing Beth. The milkman, baker, grocer, and butcher inquired how she did. Poor Mrs. Hummel came to beg pardon for the thoughtlessness and to get a shroud for Mina. The neighbors sent all sorts of comforts and good wishes, and even those who knew her best were surprised to find how many friends shy little Beth had made. Meanwhile, she lay on her bed with old Joanna at her side, for even in her wanderings she did not forget her forlorn protege. She longed for her cats, but would not have them brought, lest they should get sick. Dr. Bangs came twice a day. Hannah sat up at night. Meg kept a telegram in her desk all ready to send off at any minute, and Joe never stirred from Beth's side. The first of December was a wintry day indeed to them, for a bitter wind blew, and snow fell fast. When Dr. Bangs came that morning, he looked long at Beth, held the hot hand in both his own for a minute, and laid it gently down, saying in a low voice to Hannah, If Mrs. March can leave her husband, she'd better be sent for. Joe, standing with a pale face for a minute, ran to the parlor, snatched up the telegram they had been waiting for this occasion to send, and, throwing on her things, rushed out into the storm. She was soon back, and while noiselessly taking off her cloak, Lori asked, What is it? Is Beth worse? I've sent for mother, said Joe, tugging at her rubber boots. Oh, Joe, it's not so bad as that, cried Lori with a startled face. Yes, it is. She doesn't know us. She doesn't even talk about the flocks of green doves, and she calls the vine leaves on the wall doves. As the tears streamed fast down poor Joe's cheeks, she stretched out her hand in a helpless sort of way, as if groping in the dark, and Lori took it in his, whispering as well as he could with a lump in his throat 
I'm here. Hold on to me, Joe, my dear. She could not speak, but she did hold on, and the warm grasp of the friendly human hand comforted her sore heart and seemed to lead her nearer to the divine arm which alone could uphold her in her trouble. Lori longed to say something tender and comforting, but no fitting words came to him. So he stood silent, gently stroking her bent head as her mother used to do. It was the best thing he could have done, far more soothing than the most eloquent words, for Joe felt the unspoken sympathy and in the silence learned the sweet solace which affection administers to sorrow. Soon she dried the tears which had relieved her and looked up with a grateful face. Thank you, Teddy. I'm better now. I don't feel so forlorn. We'll try to bear it if it comes. Keep hoping for the best. That will help you, Joe. Soon your mother will be here, and then everything will be all right. I'm so glad father is better. Now she won't feel so bad about leaving him, sighed Joe, spreading her wet handkerchief over her knees to dry. Poor girl, you're worn out. It isn't like you to be forlorn. Stop a bit. I'll harden you up in a jiffy. Lori went off two stairs at a time, and Joe laid her wearied head down on Beth's little brown hood, which no one had thought of moving from the table where she left it. When Lori came running down with a glass of wine, she took it with a smile and said bravely, I drink health to my Beth. You're a good doctor, Teddy, and such a comforting friend. How can I ever pay you? She added, as the wine refreshed her body, as the kind words had done her troubled mind. I'll send my bill by and by, and tonight I'll give you something that will warm the cockles of your heart better than quarts of wine, said Lori, beaming at her, with a face of suppressed satisfaction at something. What is it? cried Joe, forgetting her woes for a minute in her wonder. I telegraphed to your mother yesterday, and Brooke answered she'd come at once, and she'll be here tonight, and everything will be all right. Aren't you glad I did it? Lori spoke very fast and turned red and excited all in a minute, for he had kept his plot a secret. Joe grew quite white, flew out of her chair, and the moment he stopped speaking, she electrified him by throwing her arms round his neck and crying out with a joyful cry, Oh, Lori! Oh, mother, I am so glad. 
she did not weep again, but laughed hysterically and trembled and clung to her friend as if she was a little bewildered by the sudden news. Lori, though decidedly amazed, behaved with great presence of mind. He patted her back soothingly, and, finding that she was recovering, followed it up by a bashful kiss or two, which brought Joe round at once. Holding on to the banisters, she put him gently away, saying breathlessly, Oh, don't. I didn't mean to. It was dreadful of me. But you were such a dear to go and do it in spite of Hannah that I couldn't help flying at you. Tell me all about it. And don't give me wine again. It makes me act so. I don't mind, laughed Laurie as he settled his tie. Why? You see, I got fidgety and so did Grandpa. We thought Hannah was overdoing the authority business, and your mother ought to know. She'd never forgive us if Beth... Well, if anything happened, you know. So I got Grandpa to say it was high time we did something, and off I pelted to the office yesterday, for the doctor looked sober, and Hannah most took my head off when I proposed a telegram... I never can bear to be lorded over, so that settled my mind, and I did it. Your mother will come, I know, and the late train is in at 2 a.m. I shall go for her, and you've only got to bottle up your rapture and keep Beth quiet till that blessed lady gets here. Lori, you're an angel. How shall I ever thank you? Fly at me again. I rather liked it, said Lori, looking mischievous, a thing he had not done for a fortnight. No, thank you. I'll do it by proxy when your grandpa comes. Don't tease, but go home and rest, for you'll be up half the night. Bless you, Teddy. Bless you. Joe had backed into a corner, and as she finished her speech, she vanished precipitately into the kitchen, where she sat down upon a dresser and told the assembled cats that she was happy, oh so happy, while Lori departed, feeling that he had made a rather neat thing of it. That's the interferingest chap I ever see, but I forgive him and do hope Mrs. March is coming right away, said Hannah, with an air of relief, when Joe told the good news. Meg had a quiet rapture, and then brooded over the letter, while Joe set the sick room in order, and Hannah knocked up a couple of pies in case of company unexpected. A breath of fresh air seemed to blow through the house, and something better than sunshine 
bright end, the quiet rooms. Everything appeared to feel the hopeful change. Beth's bird began to chirp again, and a half-blown rose was discovered on Amy's bush in the window. The fire seemed to burn with unusual cheeriness, and every time the girls met, their pale faces broke into smiles as they hugged one another, whispering encouragingly, Mother's coming, dear. Mother's coming. All day, Joe and Meg hovered over Beth, watching, waiting, hoping, and trusting in God and Mother. And all day the snow fell, the bitter wind raged, and the hours dragged slowly by. But night came at last, and every time the clock struck, the sisters, still sitting on either side of the bed, looked at each other with brightening eyes, for each hour brought help nearer. The doctor had been in to say that some change, for better or worse, would probably take place about midnight, at which time he would return. Hannah, quite worn out, lay down on the sofa at the bed's foot and fell fast asleep. Mr. Lawrence marched to and fro in the parlor, feeling that he would rather face a rebel battery than Mrs. March's countenance as she entered. Lori lay on the rug, pretending to rest, but staring into the fire with the thoughtful look which made his black eyes beautifully soft and clear. I wish I had no heart. It aches so, sighed Meg after a pause. If life isn't as hard as this, I don't see how we ever shall get through it added Joe despondently. Here, the clock struck twelve, and both forgot themselves in watching Beth, for they fancied a change passed over her face. It was past two, when Joe, who stood at the window thinking how dreary the world looked in its winding sheet of wind and snow, heard a movement by the bed and turned quickly, saw Meg kneeling before their mother's easy chair with her face hidden. She was back at her post in an instant, and to her excited eyes, a great change seemed to have taken place. The fever flush was gone, and the beloved little face looked so pale and peaceful in its utter repose that Joe felt no desire to weep or to lament. The doctor came to confirm the happy truth, 
was a homely man, but they thought his face quite heavenly when he smiled and said, with a fatherly look at them, Yes, my dears, I think the little girl will pull through this time. Keep the house quiet. Let her sleep. And when she wakes, give her... What they were to give, neither heard, for both crept into the dark hall and, sitting on the stairs, held each other close, rejoicing with hearts too full for words. When they went back to be kissed and cuddled by faithful Hannah, they found Beth lying, as she used to do, with her cheek pillowed on her hand and breathing quietly, as if just fallen asleep. If mother would only come now, said Joe, as the winter night began to wane. See, said Meg, coming up with a white, half-opened rose. I thought this would hardly be ready to lay in Beth's hand tomorrow if she went away from us, but it has blossomed in the night, and now I mean to put it in my vase here, so that when the darling wakes, the first thing she will see will be the little rose and mother's face. Never had the sun risen so beautifully, and never had the world seemed so lovely as it did to the heavy eyes of Meg and Joe as they looked out in the early morning when their long, sad vigil was done. It looks like a fairy world, said Meg, smiling to herself as she stood behind the curtain watching the dazzling sight. Hark, cried Joe, starting to her feet. Yes, there was a sound of bells at the door below. A cry from Hannah, and then Lori's voice, saying in a joyful whisper, Girls, she's come. She's here.